Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Al Franken Podcast. We got a great one today for a change. Our guest is Chris Rock. Uh, Chris, thank you for doing this. Al it's great. No problem. Yeah. Doing what? We're just talking. Would you? I do a lot of research for these things. Yes. Okay. What I find the best way to research someone I'm interviewing is to Google uh, them and uh, then, then put in quotes. Okay. And go to their quotes. That's... Um... I found one which it was... Uh, one about basically yeah. that you have your own demons and stuff, and I'm and and the reason I ask this is not I don't want to go I don't want to know anything about right. that right, I don't right. want to know a damn thing about right, that right 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 it's just like where the hell did that fucking quote come from is it was that one of these I don't know what's the quote oh uh, I have my own demons and devils and okay. I mean some of these are not me sometimes it's like Chris Tucker or Chappelle. <laughs> or... He's like, I didn't say that. Robert Townsend said that. Yeah, but but I, I I have the feeling that um, there are these kinds of profiles, right? Where they ask you that, right? I guess. I mean, I haven't done these things in a while, but um, you stopped doing some things that you used to do because, um, you know, you don't have to. Partly, you don't have to. It's um, the great Lorne. Michaels once said, you can't make an entrance if you never leave. Ah, that's good. So, yeah. It's, so you have to leave everyone. You got to leave. You got to leave. You want people to... Well, that's what I've just done. Cause a... <laughs> that's what this whole thing was about. I really... That's what I... Boy, did I do that in a spectacular, spectacular way. Spectacular fashion. Yeah, wasn't that? Wow. There you go. Lauren, if you're listening... I took your advice. There you go. So, so, okay, let's talk about uh, the show. That's where we met the show. Saturday, SNL, Saturday Night Live. Yep. yep. I had been there a while. When you, when You're you a founding came. member. That's right. You're like uh, in the original Temptations, kind of. Yes. <laughs> Are there any Temptations when you see the Temptations? I think the the guy with the really bassy voice is still in it. Uh Otis or whatever his name is. Wow. Okay, let me ask you something you ask might not me. know. The original members of America? I... <laughs> you don't know that. I don't okay. know. Uh... <laughs> One of my favorite 
things that you have done, and there are many, many of those. But one of my favorite things was when you were at the Oscars and went to a Magic Johnson theater. theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it was so crystallizing. Because you went to the Magic Johnson Theater and no one there had ever heard of any... Of the Oscar movies. I mean, <laughs> you can do that at a lot of theaters. Well, that was partly but your point. That was, you can do that at most. It wasn't I mean, just... I mean, you went to I forget a Magic what Johnson Theater in out. a neighborhood that was a black neighborhood, yes, but... but... You could do that in most white neighborhoods. People would not know what Amelie is. Right. If you went to most white theaters and started going, what did you like Match Point or Crimes and Misdemeanors? Aren't they derivative? <laughs> but, uh, but on the Upper West Side of New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. There would be a heated... Uh, There'd be a heated, heated discussion, but that's a small slither of New York. So I think you're pointing <laughs> out a couple things. Uh, one, which is that the Oscar... Oscar picks. I mean, they're trying to pick the best, art, best films artistically, right? Is that yeah. that's what? I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I guess. And so, Americans' taste doesn't necessarily, whether you're in Terre Haute, or whether you're at a Magic Johnson Theater in L.A., right? It doesn't tend toward the nomination, but I think especially so. At the Magic Johnson Theater. Well, well, no, and especially so with the old Academy. Especially so with the old Academy, yes. And so the new Academy... I mean, the new Academy is still it, heavily the old Academy. It's just they let some new people in, but I don't think they okay, what are we, the other Are we talking out. in code? Uh, well, this, I mean, it's not like there's a black Academy. It's, you know, they let they let some people in, but... No, I know, uh, uh, but but the yeah they. I don't, uh, I guess I don't they think there a, is a new academy now. Uh, okay, hosting the Oscars. Yes, intimidating or not? Um, it's intimidating. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I mean, it's still harder to host any episode of Saturday Night Live than hosting the Oscars. Well, you have to do less. You have to do less and than hosting the Oscars. And you have to have a little... And, and one thing is... Kind How many of times have you hosted SNL? I've hosted SNL twice, and I've hosted the Oscars twice. And the Oscars are way easier than SNL. Yeah, because you, you do a monologue, and that's that's it, right? Right, and, and by the way, your monologue is held to a standard of the other Oscar hosts. I mean, some, you, know, <laughs> you know, Billy Crystal and Steve Martin are you know, some of the funniest guys that ever grace the earth but on most days i can be funnier than you jackman yes <laughs> most Although, days most days most days some days he kicks my ass but most days so um <laughs> so snl yeah how long were you with i was on show? snl three years three seasons and then you went to in living color i right went away? to in living color right away and then that got canceled yes okay um, there's I'm a, so smart. Well, I think, I think you've been smart, but I think that very often when I see you, no. you bring up Tim McCarver. <laughs> I love Tim McCarver. Caught for uh, Steve Carlton. A great Hall of Fame uh, catcher. 
uh, MVP one year. Really? Mm-hmm. I can tell this. You want to tell the story? Well, the you story, tell story. I, I forget. Okay, this is it. We, we're in on a Monday before the 5 o'clock meeting, right? Right. We're in the where they have the read-through table. Yes. We're sitting around. We're throwing around a few ideas before uh, the meeting with the host. That's the first meeting of the week. And you say, I'm, you know, I'm cool. I killed on Saturday. I killed. Yeah. And you were like, really, you just said, I don't, I have no pressure on me at all. I, I'm fine. I don't have to think of anything. And I said, Chris, and I know you love baseball. I just read an article uh, by Tim Carver, the catcher for for the Cardinals, and he said that there were some batters in the league that if they got a hit early in the game, they knew they were easier to get out later in the game. And that, and this is, was the kicker, that the pitcher knew it and he knew it, and if they're two out, nobody on early in the game, they'd let they'd give them a hit, essentially. I'm assuming this is not a power hitter. Yeah. So they give a guy, uh, just put her right over the middle, let the guy get a hit. <laughs> oh, and then they knew when it came up later in the game, he would relax and they could get him out easier. And the reason I bring this up is, is that you bring it up so often to me. And I'm raising it because it makes me look great. <laughs> First and foremost. But also, I think you you work incredibly hard. I do work incredibly and hard. And that couldn't have been, that can't be the turning point where a light bulb went off and said, I don't want to be that guy. No one wants to be that I guy. I do not want to be that guy. But, it, you know, I'll say this what it was. We have this... Um, the culture now, it's so weird. No one thinks they deserve the job they have. I was like, I can't believe I'm on this show. I can't believe, I'm so grateful to be here. And I, I see a lot of that. You do? Yeah. Okay. So I used to have that same head. Where it's like, I was just so lucky to be at SNL. As uh. opposed to like, hey. I deserve to be here and make the most of this. Oh. So it got me out of the head of, I'm so happy to be here, this great legacy, I can't believe Laura Michaels speaks to me. Like, all of that shit Ah. had to be gone. Okay, okay. (laughs) And I had to act like somebody who's actually in the league. Wow. That's deeper than I thought it was. (laughs) You know what I mean? And... You know, I don't want to... It still it's, isn't It's not a black... Deep. It's not a minority thing, but that, that does happen with a lot of minorities, I would imagine, or women, or just people that feel... Anybody that feels... Aren't white men. Aren't white men <laughs> that you feel like, I'm so lucky to be here. And that's not the most conducive attitude to greatness. What's interesting is when you said, <laughs> I, you know, I think most people think I don't deserve to be here, and I'm a white... Man, and I don't know anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's or or think that you're lucky to be there, and that's just yeah. a bad attitude to have. It's yeah. just not a. It, it's just not an attitude that's. I think. I think conducive having to, gratitude for having your, gratitude absolutely is very important in life. 
having gratitude is very, very, very so th- th- important. Those are two different things. But you should also, you know, Michael Jordan has to know he's Michael Jordan. I think he did. But, well, you know, just I did. I did a piece on that. I did the Stuart you know? Smalley piece in which Stuart didn't know who he was. You know, <laughs> and uh, had him doing an affirmation. Uh, Michael, I know there must be a lot of pressure. For you to play very well, and I can imagine that a night before a game, you must lie awake thinking, I'm not good enough, Uh, everybody's better than me, I'm not going to score any points, I have no business playing this game. Well, not really. Michael, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. When he hosted the show, it was the first time they had allowed NBA pros in the Olympics. Yeah. And I just, I was in his dressing room and I just went, so how do you think that's going to go? And go, oh, it's nothing. We're going to clobber everybody. And they did. And they did. He was a great guy. He wasn't arrogant, but he did not have a, a confidence problem. Also... I would say that if you're talking about people of color in a profession, I don't think black <laughs> black That's, guys are going like, yeah. I am so lucky to be here uh, in the uh, same league that Bob Cousy played in. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, well, even comedians, you see it all the time. It's like, does this guy know how good he is? Okay, <laughs> might as well go with it. Who's a comedian? Or is, I don't want to call anybody. I don't want to call anybody out, but you, there's yeah, okay. definitely people that you know are capable of greatness, mm-hmm. but are just their minds are fixated on survival. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're you're so beyond survival. Like, I got it. I got it. You're you don't even understand how good you are. I think what uh, the event that established your greatness would be the HBO stand-up. Am I wrong? It'd be wrong for me to sit here and go, great. I was oh, no, great. okay. Let's put it but, uh, Let's put it the thing. The <laughs> thing the, I, I'm sorry. I won't say that. No, no, no. You're I'm right. Like, You're right. That'd just, be ridiculous. I, just, I don't ever want to be on record as going, yes, I was great then. No, I'm just, you know, I did my Okay, well, I, the thing that, the yeah. event that elevated your career uh, the most significantly. No? Yes, it captured what I did and what I was... Um, meant to do and you really they had people hadn't seen it before people hadn't seen it i mean also i was just you know when i got to snl i was really young i was really young i'd i'd never been i didn't know second city existed you know what i mean like i didn't know what improv clubs i didn't know what any of that stuff was but when did you start doing stand-up i was probably doing stand-up about six seven years when i got snl i just didn't know what I was doing. I was just like shoved into this thing. Yeah, I I, I remember that actually. I do remember that. <laughs> I was just young. I'd never, you know, I'd never had a job. Like I'd never like a, like a you know. I had, I hadn't really had a job, like a, a real job, job until I had SNL. And, you know, and I was like shoved into it. I was the first black cast member in nine years since Damon was fired. Oh yeah, and really he wasn't on that long, so I was. More or less the black guy after Eddie Murphy, which kind of put 
a weird uh, a little pressure, pressure? On, a little pressure on me. Because Eddie was very young as well. He was very he was the best that ever did it. So it's just like, wow. So when you did that, what what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? <laughs> How did I get good? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what happened? I mean, I quit show business, essentially. Like, I'd been on SNL. I'd been on Living Color. Uh, I was in the movie New Jack City. I, I remember that. Yeah. I was uh, in the movie CB4. Like, I'd done a lot of stuff, and people pretty much assumed they knew me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no one was calling me for anything. The Deaf Comedy Jam had come out, and I knew my career was, like, in the shitter because it was February, and I had no gigs. Now, if you're a black comedian in February, you play college, it's Black History Month. You can't... Uh, <laughs> you, I was there's trying this, to put that together. Yeah, there's just, like, there's just too much work in February. So just that's like college. being, like, an Irish musician on St. Patrick's yes. Day and not getting a gig. yes. So, like, what? I have no gigs in February? I'm in trouble. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is going on? It's a metric. It's a metric. So (laughs) I just made a conscious decision to just kind of put my head down and just go to the comedy clubs and just do stand-up at a ridiculous rate of, you know, just... Several clubs a night. Just every night, every road gig I could possibly take. I just worked more than everybody. And not just working more than everybody. I I didn't think anybody was going to give me a job in show business. So I was never really trying to get a job. I was just saying what was in my heart. So that was really <laughs> yeah, what did it. Because it was a, it was, there was an enormous difference. In the subject matter, in the tone, in or in who was, you were, I'd grown. I was just um, and there you talked a lot about race, race, and different and and relationships and stuff. I mean, stand up comedy is not music, with the exception of Eddie Murphy. There is no Justin Bieber of stand up comedy. This is like, are you saying you can't sing the same song? I mean, I'm you saying tell the you same can't. Joke? No one is ever broken in their twenties. It just hasn't, it just never happens. You can be kind of funny. You can be, you know, Pete Davidson and work or whatever, but no one listens to you as a, as a comedian, really listens to you. Until I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think through this and it's prove like, you wrong, but I can't. I was always a kid when I was on SNL. I see what you're saying. Like, I was never trying to be a grown man. <laughs> so I got good, but part of it was I was growing as a person and... My dad had died, and I was in a relationship, and I had a mortgage, and you know what I mean, like, like so real, you were actually becoming. An I was adult. actually becoming an adult. That you know, you know, you're an adult. You weren't being listened to a little bit. But it, it seemed like you're talking about not just talking about slightly heavier topics, but that you were incredibly insightful. About them, about in in ways that people hadn't heard, not just from you, but from anyone. I hey, if that's how they feel, fine. I'm I, you know, I try to you know, I learned I learned a lot from you guys. I, I one thing I did learn at SNL was how to write. Just just because something's funny doesn't mean it's good. 
<laughs> sometimes. Yeah, I try to explain that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because people. people are laughing, like, there's different qualities of humor, you know? Just because it's funny doesn't mean you should say it, you know? So I did learn that. I learned that from you, and I learned that from Odenkirk, and I learned that from Conan. And Downey. And Downey, and, yeah. you know, it's like, okay. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. I want, I'm very curious, what you curious about, about your grandfather. My grandfather was a preacher, right? Alan Rock, yes, preacher, yes. And I read somewhere that you used to hang with him when he wrote his sermons. Well, he drove a cab. One great thing about my grandfather, killed a man. Um, it was totally justified, right? Well, I mean... Please, I say. He's a preacher, so... He's a preacher, so... Yes. Preachers, you know... No, I don't know. Rabbis preachers don't, that I know don't kill people. Preachers are, uh, you know, known to be a little handsy. Uh, it's like, you, you take me to a Baptist church and I'll point out a kid in the congregation that looks a little too much like the preacher. Ah. My grandfather... <laughs> Allegedly like to sleep around. So people that cheat, one of the, you know, one thing about cheaters, they're jealous. So my grandfather thought my grandmother was sleeping with the guy next door. So he confronts the guy next door and goes, if you step another foot in my yard, I'll kill you. If you step another foot in my yard, I'll blow you away. And the guy took one step in and my grandfather shot him. Killed him. Now... <laughs> Did Grandpa spend some time? He spent some time in jail. I believe it got knocked down to a manslaughter thing, which is, you know, six, seven years. Not. How, we're, uh, we're you... walking, we walk by people that committed manslaughter every day. Okay, what neighborhood <laughs> is this? This is Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy. This was the heart of Bed-Stuy. But, yeah, my fa grandfather gets out of jail. So that's very different than where I grew up. A little bit. <laughs> I grew up in St. Louis Park. Right. Which is a, a suburb of Minneapolis. And it uh, was about 20% Jewish. It was the Jewish suburb. Uh, Tom Friedman. Huh? The Cohen brothers. Hey. You know? And, uh, you know, a lot of people think, like, Fargo was the Cohen brothers just making fun of Gentiles. And okay. that's exactly what it was. 
Anyway, my grandfather used to drive us to school. You know, New York, you know, back when, you know, there was a real labor movement, there'd be strikes quite often. <laughs> like, <laughs> back when the worker had power, yeah. there'd be uh, strikes occasionally. And, you know, sometimes the school bus drivers would go on strike. Anyway, my grandfather would drive us to school. And he'd be writing his sermons all week. And I would watch him doodle his sermon. And then he, then I'd have to go to church on Sunday. And I just kind of noticed that he never wrote the sermon. It was just always like these talking points right. that he would write down. and put. Which in- is why it, it had a flow and sounded. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it was, you know. Music. It was almost music. It was almost music. And then, yeah, and the his pad was, you know, kind of guardrails. You know what I mean? Just to mm-hmm. make sure he didn't go too crazy off the thing. So I kind of, I guess I kind of went from a guy trying to write joke jokes to, like, more of that. I'm like, okay, this is probably a better style for me. More of a conversational thing. And, uh... Here we are. Okay, and how do you develop that? In other words, I mean, you're saying you go to club, lots of clubs. You got to get on stage all the time. And you also, takes a lot of confidence because you got to like, the average stand-up, what was it? You get a laugh every eight seconds or ten seconds or whatever. But the good stand-ups can go minutes and minutes without getting any laughs. Which sounds it sounds backwards. Something. Yeah, which sounds backwards. But the good guys, the longer you you would think the lo- you you know oh the most laughs you get per minute is the best comedian. No 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 no. Because those are one liners and yeah, just some yeah. guys will do one liners. But the people that can delay, it, just like in life, if you can delay the gratitude, it's so much bigger. Chappelle's really good at it right now. Mm. Where he's just like, I have no idea where he's going, but I'm very captivated. I, you know, he right now can get away with um, pretty much anything, I mean, and he's got the courage to do that. I, I always say it's only controversial if your audience finds it controversial. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if. The people that like you like it, then what's the problem? If people that don't necessarily like you don't like something, what? Okay. So I'm only worried when I offend people that like me. I don't really care I was in a world for a while there where you had to get a majority of people to at least vote for you. Yes. And that's different. Show business is different now. It's just you have your congregation and I mean, you can try to get more people. That wasn't show business that I was in that part of my life. You were in show business, though. Oh, I was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it was show business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's why I was kind of good at it, actually. <laughs> Who's the president of the United States? A guy who was in the number one show in the country. I, I, I found that having been a performer was incredibly useful in hearings. Yeah. No, just any crowd work. 
is <laughs> crowd I mean, work. No, no, I just love the term. Like, okay, uh, just we've brought Chris Rock into the caucus, and he's going to tell us how to do. Uh, whenever I'm on, whenever I'm on tour, you know, I won't out anybody, but all the biggest preachers in the country come to my shows. Of course, <laughs> and they always come through the back. <laughs> they always find some. Slokey way of getting in the theater without anybody seeing them, and you know what we talk about? Crowd work. Crowd we just work. talk. We just talk about performing. Okay, what is crowd? <laughs> work? I'm just saying, even just working a crowd. You just, mm-hmm. just we just talk about performing. If if I was talking to the Pope right now, we would talk about working an audience, getting an audience, grabbing them when you know you're losing them. How do you get them back? <laughs> okay. Why I mean, don't you just, tell you just us. Have those, uh, uh, walk us through. Walk us through some of that. I DJed before I was a comedian. I was a DJ. Played block parties and house parties and stuff. I was really young, but the guys I worked with were all like five, ten years older than me. But they, you know, they like cocaine. <laughs> they like to get high. So I was like this kid that was relatively straight that they knew once they were really fucked up I could man the boards uh-huh. <laughs> oh I see <laughs> you're the designated yeah, yeah, board was, operator yeah yeah, yeah. I, could, okay. I could spin records and they just knew I could be counted on right right <laughs> but uh, I remember one night I don't know it was, you know rap music's just starting out and it's late and I probably played like five hardcore rap records in a row and the guy one of one of the guys one of the older guys snaps out of his high and goes what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to get us killed because you couldn't play you can't play five up-tempo records in a row especially in an urban crowd you like you have to calm the crowd down ah Really? Yeah, you have to calm the crowd. And this is any, this is even at a festival. It's like, okay, we got to calm. We got to calm. Crowds are dangerous. You have to calm them down. Wow. And I even learned that with jokes. Like, okay, they, they can handle four of these. Let me take it down a notch before <laughs> <laughs> before I get to this other material. Can you, can you think of something from, I mean, like, your last special where you had... Four of some kind of thing in a row and then went, I better... I mean, you could, you know, even like racial things. It's like, okay, I can get white people to laugh at two of these right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the if I do one... the third one, there's going to be a... Some guy's going to curse me out and there's going to be a fight and, you know, and the ushers are going to have to come and whatever. How? <laughs> Your this audience, makes sense, right? Yeah, your audiences. I know you play different places, but your audiences. What you know? Well, how do they it's break pretty down? Mixed. It depends on if I'm in Minnesota. There's a bunch of white people. If I'm in Atlanta, there's a bunch of black people. It's you know, it, yeah, it varies. Um, you know, when you're in Biloxi, Mississippi, you better watch yourself a little bit. You gotta like. But you think there'd be a lot of black people there? There are a lot of black <laughs> people there, but, yeah. but, but, but the kind of white people that are there are like, eh, okay, I can take two of these, but, you know. Okay. Not, I'm just thinking of a white person who comes to your show in Biloxi, you'd think, is 
Um, okay. Going like, and every now and then like you, you don't know who's dragged by their girlfriend or uh-huh. you know, whatever. No crowd smarter than another crowd. Okay. Okay. Mobs are mobs. Mobs <laughs> are mobs. Right. I don't care. They lose their brain. If you're at Rikers Island or in front of a bunch of senators, you have the ability I've to seen make these people. A bunch of senators acting kind of like a mob. Yeah, it's no, it, it literally crowds. You get the smartest person and you divide the IQ by the number of people in the place. It just gets <laughs> dumber and dumber. I mean, and by the way, I say it in a respectful way. If I can tell smarter jokes playing the Beacon Theater than I can playing Madison Square Garden. Oh, it's a side. I see. Okay. See what I'm saying? Yep. Like, when you play Madison Square Garden, when you're in front of 20,000 people, nuance goes out the window. Is there any, anything to do with the acoustics? I mean, some of it's the acoustics, That's, but there's the, something about the mood. It's so I easy mean, to lose 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go, okay, well, what are we going to talk about now? Hecklers start like you like you can't like you have to be on it in every way in front uh-huh. of twenty thousand people where you kind of you can kind of think in front of a you know play the Apollo even though everybody's well oh, black audience is hard you can think you can you know you can think out loud you can think out loud and they'll and they'll be follow with you. you and they'll yeah. be with you right yeah so but twenty thousand so you've played twenty thousand yes gosh that must be. Something when it's working. And it must, when it's working, it's you, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Unbelievable. It's great. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Now, you're doing Fargo coming next. I am doing Fargo. I start that in about three weeks, yeah. What do you play in Fargo? I play a mob boss. uh, Where? In uh, St. Louis. Oh, okay. In St. Louis, yeah. Because originally Fargo... Was yeah. a Minnesota it, thing, but okay. now it become they change every year. What they they do kind of change every year. It's a whole new show every year. Um, this one is in St. Louis. I mean, I guess we'll make it to far. I've I've only read like three scripts. So at some point, we'll be in Minnesota, but Fargo, of course, is uh, in North Dakota. North Dakota. Sorry about that. No, I in public school. I education. represented Minnesota, so yeah. I know Fargo. Yeah, it's Fargo, Moorhead. Moorhead is uh, yeah, uh, the other side to, of the, to, of the Red River. I didn't go to fancy schools. So. Red River, the north. It's rough. Occasionally, my GED flares up. You know how you uh, got to school? How did I get to school? Oh, in a bus. I did get to school in a bus. <laughs> yes, I did. Let's go to the bus now, and then we'll come back to acting. Okay. Because that came up in the debates. It came up, but it's like, hasn't been an issue... What for? Th- I don't even know 40 people are still being bused. I mean, I guess I, I see school buses when I'm. Oh, there are school buses. Yes, there are still school buses, <laughs> <laughs> but they aren't integrating. 
Hey, yeah, Liz. I, I thought we stopped that. I thought that was just... Well, there's a number of reasons. One, people hated it. Right. Including you, right? I hated it, yeah. I didn't like it. I mean, well, I was bused. I've said this before. It was, you know, it's like an hour from my house. You're at school competing with kids that got an hour more sleep than you. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, that's your school. Okay. They got an hour more sleep than you. They have, okay, so it's an hour. They may have really gotten two hours more sleep because you got to go an hour back. Right. They have 10 more free hours a week than you because you're mm-hmm. in a, like, they have a whole day you don't have. <laughs> <laughs> they have a whole day to do homework or whatever that you don't have, right? Mm-hmm. You can't socialize because you have to get on a freaking bus, you know, mm-hmm. not that anybody wanted to socialize with me. Um, uh, well, tell me about that aspect of it. Uh, you were welcomed only, with open I was, arms? I was the only black boy in my grade. Mm. No, nah, it was horrible. Um, but, hey, made me who I am. You know how many kids asked me to, like, come back to their house and whatever, whatever would be called a play date nowadays? In, well, they knew you had to get on the bus. No, no, no. no, 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 no. How many? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. Like in nine years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In nine years of like white schools, how many times was I invited to anything? I mean, you could go to a birthday party on the weekend or something. Mm -hmm. How many times do you think I was invited? Okay, I'm going to (laughs) say 10 because it would be more than one a year. Once. Once. Only once. And Only you, once. who was that? Uh, Davy Moskowitz. <laughs> I like that you remember. <laughs> oh, do I remember? How can I forget yeah. Davy Moskowitz? Davy Moskowitz, man, invited me uh, junior high. So, you know, we were taking city buses at that point. And I went back to his house and we played Rock'em Sock'em Robots or some shit, I forget. And we had sandwiches and it was great. And I, remember, I remember his father coming in and doing a double take of me in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> but other, otherwise, it was fine. But literally, one kid. I never got invited to anything. That, uh, that's why I thought that the whole thing in that debate was just weird. Because um, Senator Harris is not, does not support federal busing now no one really does i don't think i don't think so so all biden was saying you got you got a phone call can i take scott rutan oh yes let me take scott here just put him on uh put him on speaker so we can hear (laughs) yeah oh one of the biggest uh sure producers in hollywood is calling yeah yeah the creator of the british version the creator of the british version he said he had a falling out with you, but I said that everybody. <laughs> uh, that's Al Franken laughing. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Bye. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Looks like I'm doing a movie. Yeah, great. Now I just, th- I just want the audience to know that you've heard one side of a real, real live. Hollywood showbiz call, right? Scott Rudin, 
one of the biggest producers in in in, in the movies, right? In the history of movies, I would say. Okay. Yeah, he's the real so guy. What, you, he's so good. Can can you? Say I what can't really say. I can't say. Oh, can't okay. Say, but it's oh, big. No, I understand that. It's big. I mean, it could be. I mean, it's show business. So, what yes. no one understands is ninety-seven percent of things don't happen. Right. <laughs> so you have to have a lot of plates like, spinning, right? You got to have a lot of plates spinning. So a successful person in show business is a person that bats 118. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God, he's always got stuff happening. It's like nothing ever happens. But um, I remember when, when Tom and I, Tom Davis and I got to SNL, and this is before the show started, right? And by the time that it was cast with, you know, uh, Garrett and Chevy and Belushi and Aykroyd and Jane Lorraine and Gilda uh, and the writers around us that we had. And I, I remember saying to Tom, this show is going to be an enormous hit. And I was 24 years old and I did not know that there is never an enormous hit. Right. <laughs> and that it was every like the year, stupidest thing for anyone to say. Every now, year, 30 pilots air and maybe want to hit every three years. Like, nothing works. But uh, I was right because I was so ignorant. I had, you know, the ignorance worked in your favor. Yeah. No. I was... Comp- I was sur- Supremely confident. If you had any idea of the real odds, it would have actually affected your might output. Have, might have, it might have. <laughs> but I said, Tom, don't you see? This is the first time our generation has been allowed to write and to be on. This is a countercultural show. This is this is going to be huge. And Tom, who is smarter than me, went, Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tom. Yeah. Okay, we, we we were talking about we were talking uh, about Fargo. So for can't get any artsy. We're talking about the show Fargo. It's got rooting calls. It's highbrow. That's what I'm trying to say. We're in the highbrow world. This is a highbrow movie. You're talking about. I'm saying yeah, everything's highbrow right now. Fargo's a pretty highbrow show. Pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Fargo is very highbrow. Very highbrow. But um, would the movie that you're just talking with Rudin about be seen at a Magic Johnson theater? Yes. It would be. Yes, it would be seen at a Magic Johnson Theater. Okay. So it's highbrow and be at a Magic Johnson Theater. I, so it really yeah, sounds I, big. That's me. That's my brand. If the, you know, if brand's not, you know, it can be such an obnoxious word. But, yeah, that's me. Now, he said that he had a falling out with, with you, but with that's somebody everybody. Else. And it's just everybody has a falling out with Scott. Just, yeah, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just Scott. So I want, this is a story I heard once. A friend of mine, the screenwriter, is at his office, and it's right before Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival. Right. And there is an assistant, a new assistant that, that Rudin has among a number of assistants. And he gets a hotel room for, like, a huge star right. at Cannes right. who couldn't get a hotel room. Right. And he said, oh, you know what? It just fell into my lap. You know, you're welcome, but honestly, it just happened to fall in the lap. But, you know, it's uh, I'm glad we were able to do that for you. And then he hangs up. So uh, Rudin uh, goes to the kid and says, don't you ever <laughs> tell 
anyone that it was easy to get him a room. You tell him you worked your ass off to get it. He's right. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> He's and, right. And this kid is, uh, is kid smarter for it. That kid now. Runs Disney. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, how it works out. I remember I was talking to Jay-Z one time. Jay-Z yeah. famously doesn't write. It comes up at the top of his head. So he goes in the, stu- in the studio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Timberland or Pharrell or whoever plays him a beat. And he kind of comes up with the raps kind of on... You know, top of his head, kind of, kind of like. So he just goes into the studio, goes in the booth, has on headphones like us right now, and I mean, he'll rap over a record several times until it feels right to him. Right. But he always, and he likes to tell people he doesn't write. And I was like, just me trying to be an idiot, trying to. It's like no one wants to hear that we didn't work on this steak. (laughs) 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 You want to go to a restaurant, and you're like, yeah, we don't really cook this at all. We just. Throw it on your plate. No, we, we make it up even if, even if we... Well, he's writing, he's writing when he's doing that. Anyway, That's writing. Yeah, he, that he likes to tell you how easy it comes to him. And oh, I'm, yeah, and to I'm make lo- you, what, what's the feeling that's supposed to give you? I'm not sure. Inadequacy. Maybe that, uh, <laughs> oh, whatever. And I'm, Talent so, lack. so, yeah, so I like, I believe, yeah, don't tell anybody. Yeah, so easy. I don't know him, so. He's a great guy. I've had really good uh, relationship mentors. Now, uh, what movies of his have you done? What I we did a play. The first time I worked on, we did a play, "The Motherfucker with the Hat" on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Me, Annabelle Sciorra, Bobby Cannavale, Yul Vasquez, Elizabeth Rodriguez, whatever. We nominated for a Tony that year for best play. Several nominations. We did the movie Top Five that I directed mm-hmm. years ago. Name drop Bill. I was having lunch with Mamet. David. David, David Mamet. The uh, playwright and yeah. screenwriter. And we were talking about me doing a play for Mamet. And scheduling or whatever didn't work out. But Mamet. I've had other guests. Uh, former um, uh, energy secretary uh, Ernie Moniz uh, did a play with Mamet. Oh, there you go. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, Mamet gave me a script to read. It was a take on uh, Kurosawa's uh, High and Low. Okay. And I read it, and I kind I liked it, but I had notes. But I don't want to give Mamet notes. Okay. <laughs> it's like who who am I to give you know David Mamet? It's as good as they come, right? So I was meeting with Scott about something else, and I gave him the notes because I knew he was working Producing? on the script okay. with Mamet. Anyway, Scott likes my notes so much. That uh, he fires Mammoth. <laughs> kinda, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess Mike Nichols was supposed to direct it, and he goes, "You want to have lunch?" I get a call three weeks later. You want to have lunch with me and Mike Nichols? Like, yeah, I'll have lunch with the guy that did sure. the graduate. Why not? Yeah, and lots of other <laughs> lots of other things. Yeah, and they kind of sit me down and offer me this writing gig based on my. Notes. notes I gave to Scott, and I it's to this day it's the only writing gig I've ever taken. But I figured I'd get some lunches with Mike Nichols out of it, which I absolutely got. And was <laughs> was the thing made? No, it was not made. Mike mm. died. Uh, I, oh, don't know, I don't know. I don't know where. That's when he died. I don't, yeah, I don't know where it's at now. But uh, 
Well, as you say, so anyway, that's a very few things happen. Very actually. few <laughs> things happen. Yeah, Mike died. That movie didn't happen. I was supposed to do uh, yeah. Robert Altman's last movie, <laughs> and but I he rem- died. Yeah, he was. We you ever see the documentary Hands on Hard Body? No. There's a weird competition in some part of Texas, and the competition is about how long can you keep your hand on this Cadillac? You're talking people. Hand how hard it is to keep your hand on a Cadillac for 16 hours or 20 hours. Like, people fall out. It's the weird. You should watch the documentary. And do you get the Cadillac you get, if you, you get the, the Cadillac? Or you get like 10 grand or whatever. How many what, people are doing this? It's, I don't know, six, seven people. Uh-huh. Anyway, you should see the documentary. It's so fascinating. Robert Altman was doing a script, a scripted version of this great documentary. And I remember talking to him a lot about my character. Then one day he just died in the movie. Just didn't happen. So there you go. You got to maybe start working with younger, <laughs> I should. younger like, collaborators or directors. So great uh, guys, both both of them really great guys. So Scott Rutten's been really <laughs> instrumental. Well, Chris, thank you for doing this. Hey, Al. You, you know, know you, you know Tim McCarver story. I mean, I'm I'm in your debt. Uh, you owe every. I owe everything to you. Well, and, and you know, Davy Moskowitz. I just remember everyone that was nice to me in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like from your school years, it's one person. <laughs> from your, at least from your classmates. Yeah, just Davy Moskowitz. Davy Moskowitz. Have you got in touch with oh, Davy? Yeah, Mas- yeah, yeah. Of course. Okay. When so. I'm on tour and I play, he lives in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Davy Moskowitz is the motherfucking man. He's got you. You want Chris Rock tickets? Davy Moskowitz is your guy. God bless him. God bless him. Well, this this uh, <laughs> this, uh, this show goes out to Davy Moskowitz. Yeah, good guy. Sounds sounds Jewish. Yeah, it's just, I think it's safe to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the only one <laughs> who invited you. Hey, I got no problem. Was the Jew always the nicest to me? Rudin. Rudin. Hey. Jew. I got no. You know. Warren Michaels. Hey. Jew. I got no. Um, <laughs> so you're welcome. I'm on I, behalf of. These people have been very good to me. The chosen people. I played Israel last year, two years ago. How did that go? It went really good. Yeah, I gotta say, I gotta say. And were they? They must have been very familiar with you. I played like a hockey arena, some big arena. It was not where like in a, Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a little place. It was pretty. I played a couple of shows. Did you do any? Special material for Israel, you must uh, have. Had Jeff Ross on the road with me. You know, uh huh. Yes, yeah, sure. So I, I right now I don't even remember what my opening so line the, was. Did, did he open? He opened the show. Oh, he opened. Well, then you got your. Yeah, he opened the show, but I, 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 I can't even remember what I said. But he told me, okay, if you say this, you'll be. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, you sure, Jeff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Shout so, out to the settlers. <laughs> whatever he told me to say, I said it. Forbade him like I had it written at the lip of the stage. Uh huh. <laughs> just big laugh every night, and then I just go into my act. I see. Like, okay. Yeah, well, that's a, Je- that's Jeff a way Ross. To do it. Jeff Ross, he's brilliant. Jeff Ross is a brilliant really guy. brilliant. Yeah. As are you, my friend. <laughs> Try and my and uh, thank you. Thank you. Let's get out of here. All right. All right. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. 
I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.